0: Drive Time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up.
1: What is up, dolphins fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, as fast as week one came and went, we are on to Foxborough. We are previewing the Sunday night football showdown against rival New England. Key matchups, keys to victory, critical stats. These games are fun to preview when you're excited about your team. From the Baptist Health Studios, inside the Baptist Health Training Complex, this is the Drive Time Podcast. Ah, The New England Patriots, once again, once a thorn in our collective side. The Dolphins have recently flipped the script in this series Though we are looking for a little bit of payback after a Week 17 loss just nine months ago that almost kept us out of the postseason. The Patriots are in Year 3 post-Brady, and it's been an adjustment. Actually, Year 4, right? 2021, 2022? Yeah, it's Year 4. That first year, they qualified for the postseason and then had a rough go in the wild card round up in Buffalo, but I think that season that Mac Jones had as a rookie gets a little bit lost in the weeds after a really tough experimental year last year under a variety of coordinators and play callers that could not be identified and had no previous offensive experience in Joe Judge and Matt Patricia as they attempted to implement a wide zone system despite no coaching history or player history in that system. And it just never took. Eventually, they reverted back to more of a man-gap concept in the running game. But through some injuries and and up-and-down play, it was a challenging sophomore season for Mac Jones. And we saw lots of frustration on the sidelines after many three-and-out and and turnover-level series. The reason that he was a first-round pick was the same reason he found success in that rookie year. He sees the field very well, he throws a pretty accurate football, and he's a good decision-maker. More on him in a moment, but he's obviously the marquee talking point when discussing the post-Brady era after a run of eight consecutive trips to the AFC Championship game with three rings over that span. And of course, six total in two decades. It's hard to fill the shoes of Brady, but Belichick is still doing what he's always done. And look, it's not a secret to say their draft classes have not developed a ton of star players that you know constitute Pro Bowls, All Pro, second contracts. But you often need to look at the entire body of a roster building concept to get a feel for how a team is at constructing the roster. And at the bottom line. Belichick, year in and year out, develops a defense that performs. Now, can he develop an offense that's going to perform? That's the big question here in the post-Brady era. But the defense every year is good, and they did it again last week against the Philadelphia Eagles. Last year, 11th in points allowed. 2021, second in points allowed. 2020, seventh in points allowed. And that was after being top ranked in 2019, which was Brady's final year, obviously. So while the offense undergoes this transformation, tries to find its identity, it's the same story on defense. A secondary driven unit that employs more six, seven, eight defensive back packages than anybody else and gets production from every avenue of roster acquisition, the same unheralded defensive line that deserves to get way more praise is pretty much intact. Lawrence Guy, Dietrich Wise. These guys have been there since the Clinton administration. That's a joke. Uh, they imported Devon Godshaw a few years ago, and Christian Barmore is arguably the best among the hit and one of their best draft hits in recent years. They pair that with an elite pass rusher in Matthew Judon with supplementary pieces like Josh Uche and what looks like another hit in Keon White in the second round at a Georgia Tech. They're 25-27 and 27 since 2020. That includes the playoff loss. They're off to an 0-1 start in a very difficult AFC East and AFC in general, and they're going to give the Dolphins their best shot in primetime in front of their home crowd in a game they know they have to get to avoid falling to 0-2 with a home divisional loss and both games at home for that matter. Not quite the same number of storylines as we had last week on the podcast, but certainly not short on them either. Let's go ahead and get to those key storylines. Now, some of these are going to give some crossover into the matchup section, so we'll avoid getting into too much numbers and tell all the tape on some of these. Let's go ahead and start here. The Dolphins are 4-0 against New England in games started by QB1. and Just like we saw in Week 1, these wins typically occur when Tua is at his best in the fourth quarter. I can think back to the 2020 game when he extended a third down play in low red zone and rushed for a game-clinching touchdown. In the 2021 opener delivered a strike to Devontae Parker for a first down when they were backed up on a second and 12 play. And the Patriots needed just a field goal to win, had all three timeouts, and a three and out there pretty much puts them into field goal range but he converts the Dolphins, run the clock out, and win the football game. Last year wasn't quite the same game script, but he did hit a critical pass for Yahtzee on 4th and eight to Jalen Waddell right before half to give Miami a commanding 17-to-zip lead. Next storyline, minimal possessions every time these two teams meet. Will that change with a new defensive coordinator in Miami and a new offensive coordinator in New England? Akin to the first storyline, these game scripts tend to follow the same, well, script every time. Both teams have these methodical drives that shorten the number of drives that each team gets throughout the course of a game. Both teams play really strong on third down offensively, but even better in the red zone defensively, and you wind up with these 17 to 16 finals. For the opener last year, I did a study and found that Dolphins and Patriots games going back to 2020 when Brian Flores really arrived with his new defense here, but not 2019 because that was kind of a, a wash of a year, but these games average... 2.2 2.2 possessions fewer per team than league average going back to that season. Last year's opener was similar, two possessions fewer for each, and the Week 17 game did not have the same track, but we were also down a couple of quarterbacks in that game with an in-game injury throwing a wrench into the entire thing. Now, what happened in 2020, the second year of Brian Flores implementing his defense and the eventual Josh Boyer promotion in 2021, who stayed on in 2022 when Flores was let go? And we saw that game plan have some success a la the first Buffalo game last year, where they dared Josh Allen to stay patient and take a profit in the short game, which led to a lot of defensive snaps, but just 19 points, and frankly, multiple balls within our players' hands that could have turned into sacks and fumbles and picks just didn't secure and make the big plays. It did hold the Patriots to 7 and 16 points, and 7 of those points offensively came on a pick 6 for the Patriots a year ago, but now with Fangio in the fold, will that change? I'm pretty curious to see if it does or does not. Another element of that is is the addition of Bill O'Brien, an offensive-minded coach who has seen a ton of different systems in his time with Houston, Alabama, and now creating the 2023 Patriots offense. He's operated that deep, drop-back, slow-developing type of system where Deshaun Watson would big-play hunt in Houston gross he's run the quick rpo game at bama a little bit of everything here for bill o'brien we'll get to their tape in the next segment but real quick some numbers on their approach in week one they pushed the ball downfield more than league average at 14.8 percent on 20 plus yard throws the same percentage of throws in the intermediate 14.8 percent comparatively miami threw 18 percent on 20 plus yard throws and a whopping 31.1 percent to the intermediate. Miami's a little bit different than most teams. As far as their success, Jones was three for eight on deep shots with 52 yards, but both were touchdowns or both touchdowns came on that. Uh, The 10 to 19 yard throws, he was four for eight with 51 yards and the third touchdown. Ironically, his interception was in the short passing game, zero to nine yards. Last year, Jones threw 15.2% of the time, 20 plus yards downfield and 15.6% So not much of a change, and their success was similar both years as well. And for posterity, Jones's average depth of target and time to throw in 2023 has been 8.3 yards and 2.38 seconds compared to 8.2 yards, which is obviously almost the exact same, but 2.69, three-tenths of a second higher in 2022. Again, one-game sample size, but I think it's worth mentioning in terms of differences we could potentially see change the common game script these two teams tend to follow. When they meet, will it be another 20 to 16 game? I hope not, but it's possible. Can the Dolphins build on their week one success in pass protection against a front that typically generates issues for their opponents? I could not have been more impressed by how the Dolphins processed on the offensive line Sunday in Los Angeles. And a big part of that is Mike McDaniel's system. And what I said all year last year, and really all offseason this season, And why Chris Greer tells you, you guys are more worried about the offensive line than we are because Mike McDaniel built this roster around his vision for Tua strengths and getting the ball out quick and his system that keeps edge rushers at bay with so much eye candy and false keys. Do we understand that yet? Can we possibly get that through our skulls collectively? I'm not saying you guys don't, but there's a a cognoscenti out there that does not get that through their minds. Yeah, it's important to have good offensive line play and getting good solid one-on-one protection, and true drop-back situations on third and longs, it's important. But for the majority of the game, a reason why this offensive line keeps Tua clean is because of what McDaniel does in schematically and how quick Tua gets the ball out of his hands. So why not put your resources towards guys that can maximize that in the back end when you minimize your offensive line play? Can, does that make sense? It makes perfect sense to me. Maybe I'm taking crazy pills, But I was impressed by how they processed on the O-line on those true drop-back spots in third long. Guys were finding work. They were passing off. They were chipping and attaching to blocks to help out guys when they didn't have work. Getting games picked up, the stunts, slants, and twists. Just really good work all around. Nobody has a more expansive game package in terms of stunts, slants, and twists than Bill Belichick. That's designed to create confusion in your pass protection scheme. And for the quarterback, he's liable to blitz a lot, or he might not. Either way, there will be simulated pressure looks. So how this team processes a lot of creativity up front from Belichick and company really fascinates me. Next storyline, former Finns and Pats meeting back up again. Parker, Gasicki, and Godshaw. Berrios, Bailey, Wynn, and Bethel. Some more recent than others, Gasecki, Bailey, and Wynn, were on the field for that Week 17 game last year in opposite uniforms. Parker in Year 2 in New England. Godshaw's been there since 2020. Similar timelines for Berrios and Bethel. Lots of familiarity here in division. Not as much coaching staff carryover as there once was, but it's always fun to me to watch who can have a good day against their former team. And then the Dolphins' run defense. Gets a second straight test. The Patriots didn't find a ton of footing on the ground in their first game, but falling behind 16 to nothing pretty quickly will do that to you. They have big bodies up front on their line, particularly in tackles Trent Brown and Calvin Anderson. Can they seal off lanes like the Chargers did, or will the Dolphins bounce back and fit more hats into gaps and stop the running game? Tyreek and Jonathan Jones is our last storyline here. Going to save the meat of this. Uh, Point for the matchups, but Jonathan Jones has had as much success against Tyreek as any corner he's gone against. They've doubled Tyreek, whether it's the Patriots uh, against the Dolphins or Patriots against the Chiefs going back to those days. Really fascinated to see how Tyreek does after a 215 yard day against a cornerback who isn't one of the top corners in the league, probably top 15 or 20. But for some reason, he manages to handle Tyreek, and a lot of that has to do with how they help him there. I do think they're going to help him big time and have a good chance for Jalen Waddle to get a whole bunch of one-on-one coverage in this game. Let's go ahead and take our first break right there and come back on the other side and talk about the offensive production, the matchups, all the key stats, and much more. That's next, Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation.
2: Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Dolphins, Patriots, Sunday night, NBC 815 kickoff. Check that 820 kickoff. Up in Foxborough, supposed to be a 55-degree night, a nice, cool, crisp fall evening in Foxborough. Let's go ahead and talk about the Dolphins' offense versus the Patriots' defense. And now we can actually do snap counts and workloads since we have a game worth of sample size. Just one, but still a sample size nonetheless. So the Dolphins' offense, you guys know. Tunga Vailoa versus Kyle Duggar and Jabril Peppers, who played 88% of the snaps at safety. No more Devin McCourty this year. And then Adrian Phillips, their third safety, played a quarter of their snaps uh, defensively, our receivers going up against Christian Gonzalez, who played every single snap in his first game as a pro, the rookie out of Oregon, Jonathan Jones mentioned him talking about going up against Tyreek played 80% of their snaps. And then Marcus Jones played 36% of the snaps while inside in the slot. Miles Bryant was on the field for 67%, which matches up perfectly With the nickel package, you typically run about three quarters or two thirds of the time. On the interior offensive line, you guys know Wynn Williams and Hunt versus Godshaw and Wise, who both played 62% of the snaps on Sunday. Barmore played just over half at 56, and Lawrence Guy played 47. Same cast and crew there. It's been for a long, long time. Uh, The tackles versus the edge. Will it be Armstead? I tend to think it'll be Kendall Lamb. We'll find out, though. And Austin Jackson versus Matt Judon, who played three quarters of the snaps. And how about this? Josh Uche played 36% and Keon White played 35%. So not a lot of edge rushers on the field in this game. Those guys collectively playing about three quarters of the snaps together while Judon plays that by himself. So plenty of packages where there's just, you know, we're wise or guy plays the essential edge position. And then running backs versus linebackers, most certain Ahmed, and we'll see who else is active for the game. But Bentley played every single snap. Jawan Bentley, the middle linebacker. Jelani Tavai plays a lot of snaps this year, 56%. And then Mac Wilson down to 15. So those are the key players. A fifth defensive tackle, Daniel Ukele, played 19 snaps. That was 30% of the workload. And this is kind of part of their cover one structure. They will fit every gap in the run game. And you must execute hat on a hat. And your back has to make those guys miss. 119 snaps for the top three guys that they play. That's basically the same workload as Wilkins, Sealer, and Raquan Davis. Then the 19 for UKLA makes 138 snaps for the defensive tackle. So plenty of defensive tackles, plenty of DBs because they had 337 reps for DBs in that first game. They played 66 total. So that's 5.1 DBs on the field on average per snap. That was the most in the NFL in week one. What does that tell you? maybe the outside running game against all those bigger bodies that you can seal inside and get corners and safeties having to tackle out on the edge against Raheem Mostert, having to go around blocks of one of the best wide receiver blocking team in the NFL, the Miami Dolphins. That's going to be a key matchup there. Speaking of that cover one, we, the, the Patriots use a variety of personnel's in their defense, 34 defense, 11.5% of the time. But they also have a 43 package. They run 5% of the time, so in base for 16.5% of the time. They run their nickel lower than most teams at 56% because their dime defense is ran 28% of the time. That's where that high variance of defensive back snap counts comes from. And I was curious to see what the Eagles did if this was matching what the Eagles did, or if the Patriots set the tone and said, this is what we're going to run, you guys do what you want to do. And they were able to defend the Eagles run a lot from that 12 personnel package against nickel and dime, but the Eagles were in 11 personnel for 84% of their plays, which means the Patriots would match some 11 with dime personnel. And the fact that the Eagles couldn't run on that is a good sign for the Patriots defense. Can Miami find their success in the running game a lot on third and long of that dime defense, but they also played dime 37% of their second down plays, which means they're not just playing it in obvious passing downs, because if you're ever doing that in non-third and long situations, you invite the offense to run the football, and you have to wonder if we see more of that given our weapons and the ability to stretch the field with the best downfield passer in the National Football League. I think you sort of can dictate the terms with our second highest frequency, 48%. To operate in two back personnel. Just think Alec Ingold. With him in the game, they either have to bring their base package on the field, and then you get some interior matchup against guys like, you know, that aren't coverage specialists like Juwan Bentley, uh, Mac Wilson, Jelani Tavai. And that's what we did against Los Angeles, and we're able to give Kenneth Murray fits. He had a horrible game. Alohi Gilman had a rough game. Eric Kendricks, all three of those guys combined for 11 completions allowed and 171 yards. We did get big numbers on the perimeter for really a perfectly productive day. But in this particular instance, against that Patriots cover one defense, you might not get those opportunities. So if they don't adjust and they keep those sub packages on the field, now they're lighter against the run. This is why I think I love Miami's flexibility against anybody on on their offense with the ability to dictate their own terms. From those 12 and 21 personnel groupings, you still feature ridiculous speed with explosiveness from 10 and 17 that allows you to run and pass. Then you start thinking about your 11 personnel groupings with Ezucama and what he can do from the backfield. It's a lot to prepare for. Now the Patriots ran a lot of cover zero against the Eagles with tons of split safety, you know, two high safety structures with lighter box counts, which again, encourages the run. I think it'll be the case again with split safety, but probably not cover zero. What about on the front end? How will they find ways to pressure Tua? Well, they blitzed Jalen Hurts and the Eagles at 25%. That was 17th most in the NFL. NFL average last week was 28%. So just below the average. The Chargers blitzed Tua on 18 dropbacks. That was 40% of his workload. And he paid it off with 12 completions at 67%, 166 yards. That's a 9.2 per play average and a touchdown pass. He also got the football out in 2.3 seconds on these plays. So he saw it. He dissected it. He dominated. Last year, <clears throat> the Patriots blitzed him in that week one game at a nearly identical rate 43%, and it was much more effective. Just nine for 15. 87 yards and no touchdowns are picked. So 5.8 yards per pass at 60% clip. Now that was the first game for Tua and the entire offense in the new system. And quite frankly, I thought that game ranked like 11th in terms of Tua's 13 total games last year. And for posterity, they blitzed Teddy 22% and Skyler just 8%. You don't have to blitz to confuse a rookie that doesn't see it very well in that Week 17 game. Going back to 2021, though, they blitzed to a 45% in the Week 1 game and just 27% in the Week 18 game. I think the conclusion here is that the blitz probably – it's probably coming on Sunday. Let's go ahead and circle back to that because I want to talk a little bit more about their system. Lots of press and bail, two-man and pass coverage. That We saw the Chargers run that. Will they go with that? I wonder how they'll contend against our motion and how they react to that short motion wrinkle that you all saw by now on social media. Saw lots of two-man, some inverted two, some quarters, some bump and run, but also off coverage and the aforementioned bail. They also called cover three. I think there's a vulnerability there in that cover three off coverage for us to get that look where you run the vertical route and then run the, the high cross that McDaniel calls it, a deep over route into the vacancy. The Eagles missed some chances on throws in that regard. And then in the running game, they played a lot of really tight fronts. In the front, pinch their defensive tackles and collapse the edges and then ask the DBs to rally on the back end. That's why I think our play action game could do some damage and impact not just their front against the passing game, but also allow us to hem them in and get the running game off the perimeter and get our cornerbacks, or rather our running backs matched up against their cornerbacks as tacklers. And then Jabril Pepper's a guy to watch out for here because he had a great debut this season as a jack-of-all-trades. He had a forced fumble, really good coverage on Devontae Smith on a deep ball. I'm just really curious to see how they match up there. They also played the sixth most man coverage, so will we see more man? I tend to doubt it, but who knows? The Chargers played the second most man against us in week one at 48% and that did not go well for them at all. But then again, neither did Zone. And again, Belichick is known for his ability to change looks, to craft a game plan. It's a complete departure from something they did the previous week or maybe even the entire season. But this is also why I think Tua has had more success against Belichick than any young quarterback of the last 20 years because he excels with his eyes and reading the field. It's a fun matchup when the Dolphins' offense is on the field with Tua at the controls versus this Patriots defense, which of course is called by Belichick. They also ran the most single high in football last year, and they ran it 72% of the time on Sunday, which was also the seventh highest in the NFL. That's their bread-and-butter defense since forever. Single high, man coverage, but the flexibility to mix it up. You know, last year, nobody had a higher passer rating against single high than Tua, and then the Chargers ran just 45% of the time, which was 25th most in the league. So they had their two high structure, man coverage underneath, Will the Patriots go with that? Will they play that single high man coverage? Will they go more zone? I'm just really curious to see what Belichick does because even though they do what they do well, it's what we do well passing against single high coverage. Fascinating stuff. Let's go ahead and hear from Mike McDaniel on how the Patriots employ a defensive system that I don't want to call it archaic because they're so good at it, but it's just not ran across the NFL that frequently anymore with all these two high structures, but how the Patriots run that single high safety look so efficiently.
0: It is amazing to me, and I hope one day I could even sniff sniff this. Um, it's amazing that the orchestration of the defense is so consistent, so fundamentally consistent and sound. The strain, um, very, very detailed. And the leader of the ship was on, at the same job when we were all like, what's an iPod? like that's so i mean it is it is not and and the coolest part about what they do is it's not um it's not because they're entitled because they are it's because they work at stuff you can really see it um and they're and you know they have very strong um and consistent technique and fundamentals that you can tell that um from the top down and all the coaches on on the defensive side that uh it's non-negotiable um, to, uh, and, and they work together. So I think they are uh, unique in what they do, um, and that's a testament to, um, you know, from from an X's and O's standpoint, um, one of the one of the I don't know founding fathers of the this generation of football. You know, so um, it's a it it's pretty cool to watch. Great challenge. Um, And that's what you want. Um, You want to be challenged week in, week out with different things um, because, again, you're preparing um, to try to be the best version of yourself um, against the best teams when it matters most.
1: So if they do blitz a lot, if they run a lot of sub packages, what are the individual matchups to watch? You have to obviously start with Austin Jackson and Matthew Judon and how they find a way to contain him. I think it's going to have to require a lot of help. As much as I love Austin's week one performance, Matthew Judon, I think, is better than what he faced last week. And he has the arsenal of rush packages to maybe get Austin... You know, try to attempt to get him off of his technique and hopefully Austin can stay true to that and get that matchup one because if we win that one, you know, <clears throat> Connor Williams against bigger interior defensive linemen like Christian Barmore could be a mismatch there. Those are two places to look for on the offensive line. And then I think Berrios' ability to uncover quickly is going to be a key in terms of the passing game. Also, I think Durham Smythe is playing really smart right now. I love the work he did on that broken play, on the fourth down conversion. He's playing patient and smart within the release, or within the, the offense, I should say, to get his chips and releases really timed up well to Tua. I think that's a key in how he attacks the edges, both in pass pro and as a receiver. And I think the running backs in this game against the linebackers, you know, Jelani Tavai and Jawan Bentley and Mac Wilson. I think there's a chance there for some high volume against those linebackers star running backs, but you also can never count out Tyreek and Waddle because we talk about matchups here. There's not a matchup for either of those guys that I don't like in the past. The Patriots have doubled Tyreek, even when he was in Kansas city, like, Literally two players over their bracket inside outside force him to try to go vertical or find a way to win otherwise. And Jonathan Jones usually is one of those shadow guys, and he tends to have good numbers against Tyreek. If they go this way, if they do, you might get Waddle on rookie Christian Gonzalez. I, I really like Christian Gonzalez, but a rookie on Jalen Waddle. If that's the matchup they get all game long, I would say Waddle's going to have a buck fifty in the game. That's kind of one of my my strong predictions in this one. Waddle goes off if if they give Tyreek the attention that I think he deserves as well. That's the offense, man. Going to be a fun matchup. I expect Miami to score some points. Can we hold the Patriots' defense down? We'll find out next here on the Draft Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by Auto Nation.
2: What's up? I'm John Wall. And
1: I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast
2: presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: One side of the football down here on a preview Wednesday edition of the Draft Time podcast. Let's go ahead and get to the Dolphins defense versus this Patriots offense. You know by now who the Dolphins line up. Holland, Elliott, and potentially Brandon Jones some more this week. We'll find out against Patriots quarterback Mac Jones. The receivers on cornerbacks, X and Cater against Kendrick Bourne, who played 91% of the snaps, and Keyshawn Boutte, who played 69%, the rookie sixth-round draft pick. Apple and Bethel, as far as your slot inside cornerbacks against Juju Smith-Schuster, 54%, Demario Douglas, 41%, and then your tight ends and how they match up. Hunter Henry, 80%, and Mike Gesicki played just 41% in his Patriots debut. This next part is the one that I like a lot. Wilkins, Sealer, and Davis versus Antonio Moffey. David Andrews and City So. Two rookie backup guards there filling in for Cole Strange and for uh, Michael Unwenu. Phillips, Chubb, and Ogba up against Trent Brown, who did not practice on Wednesday. And Calvin Anderson, who's filling in for the injured Riley Reef. And then Baker, Long, and Van Ginkle among your linebackers against Ramondre Stevenson, who played 72% of the snaps, and Zeke Elliott who played 35% of the snap. So Douglas was in the slot 93% of the time that he was on the field, and Juju was 55%, while Kendrick Bourne was 75% outside and Keyshawn Butte at 98% out wide. So they kind of have more declared roles there, which I think allows Miami to pick the matchups they like. And quite frankly, across the board, I like Kendrick Bourne's game, but I'm not taking any Patriots receiver against any of these Dolphins cornerbacks. I just think we match up well across the board there where I think you might have a mismatch is on Hunter Henry as he is a little more versatile than where Mike Gasicki lined up. 88% of Gesicki snaps were inside and Hunter Henry spent just 65% inside so he can go inside and out and then Devontae Parker if he plays we'll see we know how he goes with the injuries uh, he plays most of his work inside as well no fullback for the Patriots offense this year. In comes Bill O'Brien and they don't utilize you know Jakob Johnson the way they used to but that did not stop them from utilizing two back sets over one-tenth of the time so Le and Stevenson out there together. Overall, they use 11 personnel 64% of the time, 12 personnel 15% of the time, and 21 personnel with the two running backs, no fullback, 12% of the time. And then they have a a 7.8 accumulative percentage between 01, 03, 13, 22. That's basically... You know, that's a spread look. The 01, 03 is that's three tight ends with no running backs. It's a crazy package. Uh, 13 personnel is obviously one back, three tight, and then 22, two back, and two tight. So they have a lot of variety. Uh, this roster is constructed as, as such. Now, I'm curious, does this change when they get Parker and Taquan Thornton back? That remains to be seen, as you could make the case that a pair of rookies, you know, Butte and Douglas, sixth rounder and undrafted, being your number two and three options could be why there was so many two back and two tight sets. Nothing against them. They've had good camps and preseasons, for all accounts, I've heard. But you have to wonder, if you're putting together a game plan, is that more instructive to the idea that they want to be in those groupings or that they want to utilize some of the depth they have at running back and tight end. Because Zeke and Gasicki, you know, maybe not the players they used to be, but decent number twos there to try to get your best players on the field. Either way, across the board, besides Hunter Henry, I like the Dolphins matchups here. Let's talk about Mac Jones against the Blitz. So last week against the Eagles, they blitzed him 11 times, and he was 10 for 11 with 76 yards. Efficient, but not explosive. And this is a team that's not built for Yak. 204 expected yards after the catch for the Patriots last week. And that's what they got, 204 yards after the catch. They are, it's it's Mike Gesicki across the board. Not a lot of plays after the catch to be made there. Mac versus the Blitz last year in total, 26% of his dropbacks he was blitzed. He completed just 54% for 689. That's only six yards per pass, five touchdowns and four picks. So lots of mistakes versus the Blitz against us last year in two games. 39% of his dropbacks. He was 57% with 108 yards. That's only 5.1 per pass two touchdowns and a pick. So it seems like blitzing is kind of the way to go. Our blitz versus Herbert 31% of the time didn't have a lot of dropbacks, but he was seven for 10 for 36 yards. And that's only 3.6 yards per pass and one touchdown there for the Los Angeles quarterback against our blitz. Before we keep going here, let's go ahead and hear from Mike McDaniel on what he's seen so far from Bill O'Brien in one week of installing the Patriots offense. You, You can
0: tell there's some good relationships going on there. There's, um, you know, uh, the, uh, you know, Bill O'Brien's always done a really good job, um, and I think they're, um, you know, doing some things that you you can tell when there's um, connectivity between coach and quarterback, and there's stuff that he's playing very confident in. Um, so it's a, you know, when the it's a good litmus test when the quarterback's playing better. Generally, everyone is um, because they go hand in hand, uh, and. He's he can only be successful if his players are um, in the right spots doing the right thing. So there there's definitely um, some tempo going on. There's there's some um, different formations. There's uh, you know um, there's different ways to attack it. You know similar to what he's done in the past to a degree, but then there's new things. So um, you know the the crazy thing about NFL Sundays is then you could just come to work on on Sunday and he could have five wide receivers no running backs or tight ends every play you know you just don't know um there is some unknown um in that regard for what they're doing uh you have one team that you that is known on how they want to do attack um but outside of that you know well you have to defend everything so it'll be a good challenge for us
1: as far as the Patriots' offensive line goes, they had good showings in week number one from tr- two trusty veterans in Trent Brown and David Andrews. Both allowed two pressures on just on 60 pass-blocking snaps, so really good averages there. But the other three, not so much. Calvin Anderson filling in for the injured Riley Reef, So for the injured Unwenu, and Maffey for Cole Strange. In week one, Anderson and So five pressures apiece and Maffey seven pressures. This is essentially Jalen Phillips, Zach Sealer, and Christian Wilkins' matchup. I think you guys understand where we're going with that. I think ideally, though, you limit early down running plays. You trust Xavier Howard. You trust Cater Kohu to win the matchups against a perimeter group that is one of the worst in the NFL on paper and really emphasize getting a hat in every gap against the running game because if you can generate third and long, that's an opportunity to tee off on this quarterback and create some negative plays and some takeaways potentially. So tackling Stevenson, getting each gap fit, those are some big keys this week. Also keep an eye on Kendrick Bourne because he's just the one guy in that room that I think is really capable of beating you. Uh, So some things that we heard this week, Patriots receiver coach said that Boudet and Douglas looked like guys playing in their first games. They were drifting on some routes. Those will get picked off if they don't get it cleaned up this week. Mac Jones' eye manipulation and poise in the pocket are impressive. He will take some hits, but he did take uh, sacks on blitzes where he would double clutch, and if you overload and doesn't get it out hot, there's no ability to create off-script there, so find a way to create those opportunities. They ran a lot of duo, which had success against Miami last week. That's two double teams where they didn't climb off that first level and double the second level, and a lot of that runs through Farrell Brown as a really good edge blocker for the Patriots. Keep an eye on that guy in their running game. They also ran some counter tray, which is where guard and tackle both pull out together. There's a lot of athletic ability on the offensive line to get to those spaces. So Miami's eye discipline is going to be key in this one. They will do some of that same run action on pass plays where they pull the guard to seal the backside edge. So our keys have to be locked in at linebacker and on the defensive line, the Patriots, you know, The weapons they have on the perimeter, they just couldn't separate very often. And this week, I think Jones has to kind of win with tight windows, especially in true drop-back passing form. So... A chance for the ball hawks to get their hands on some footballs and then dead feet in the pocket for the quarterback, you know, changing the pitcher and disguising what he sees pre-snap and force him to beat you post snap. When his gets off that first read, the feet tend to slow down. And I wonder if we get more aggression blitzing the quarterback in this game because it was effective in week one and for the Eagles against this quarterback as well. My keys to victory force Mac Jones off the spot. When he's able to go through his reads and get the ball out on time, he's very good. But if you speed him up and force him off of his spot The complexion of the offense looks a lot different than when it's in rhythm. We mentioned the blitz numbers earlier. That's why this is our first key. He might be the most, for lack of a better term, immobile quarterback, and it's an offense that cannot afford to get behind the sticks. And I do think we'll defend the run better this time around. Number two, run the Patriots defense out of their man coverage by winning your one-on-one matchups. And of course, against double teams as well. They have the most single high man-based defense in the NFL against an offense that has the weapons to make you pay in man coverage. Tyreek's ability to win at the line last week just put the Chargers in such a bind. And even with the help, And those two-man looks, Tua's ability to manipulate the defense with his eyes, shoulders, hips, feet, all of that. If he and Tyreek and Wallow play like that again, the Patriots will have to adjust. And then against zones, you know, Tua's anticipation and our speed, that's not a fun task either. I could see that being a key really all year. Teams that can successfully go man and mix it up have the best chance. But it's a tall order for everybody. Number three, contain the Patriots' front for two decades, the Patriots have had a front that does not get enough recognition individually, but it collectively is always downright good. They do sometimes have the star of the group like Chandler Jones or Richard Seymour, Vince Wilferk, and that would be Matthew Judon right now, but wise guy, Uche, White, Barmore, there's a lot of continuity, a lot of talent, a lot of football intelligence there, and they'll find ways to generate pressure and be fundamentally sound in the running game. They'll get their wins. But don't let them stack up wins consecutively and keep that defense on the field because they want to make you play short-profit football I trust Tua to be smart with the ball as well. Some areas to attack. Again, their starting guards are out. It's time for Wilkins and Sealer to have a game of utter dominance. If they help with backs and tight ends, and maybe we can ratchet up a blitz a little bit, I just think the Chargers have a great big center and a right guard who played really well, and a left tackle who's awesome, something the Patriots don't have here really across the board except for left tackle if Trent Brown plays. They were better inside. They were better on the perimeter. I think Miami can really break things down here by Wilkins and Sealer just giving it to inexperienced guards more man coverage, and more blitzes. They just don't have the bolts on the outside without Parker and Thornton in the game. Not that they're major line shifters anyway, but they ran Douglas and Boudet out there for a combined 110 snaps, and it was clear they had two late-round UDFA type of players uh, playing 110 snaps. Offensively, I think this is just what we're going to do. If we can execute, nobody can stop us. We're in a nice position that way. That said, the Patriots' defense is pretty good. I'm not really sure where I put my Rabbit hat here, but my thinking is that this could be a big running back, tight end, slot game, and Tua has to be a lot more patient. We run as much two back personnel as anybody, and so perhaps the key here is getting the Patriots in those base looks that they don't want to be in, and forcing Bentley, Tavai, Uche, and Mac Wilson to cover when they don't want to do that. Yeah, actually, that that is that, that's the move to me. Areas of concern. I love the offensive line performance last week, but this Patriots front I think is better than the Chargers. I just do. I think we saw how long in the tooth Mac looks. I think Bosa played really poorly. As much as I you know, as much as Austin forced him into that. He just didn't really have any creativity in his rushes, and he had poor footing all day. Uh, Judon's a game wrecker. Don't let him do that. Barmore can be that too. Wise guy, White, Uche. They just have a workmanlike mentality with guys that keep coming and will operate well as a singular unit and be smart and physical. You know, you have to match that to keep Tua upright and just let him continue to ball. The run defense, I think, until it's not, you know, is a concern. The Patriots lack explosive weapons, and a quarterback does not uh, allow us to commit more to it than we did last week. I think this week you can. So I think you might trade off you know, one or two shots on a one-on-one fade route that allows us to get an extra hat to the party in the running game and I'm more than willing to take that chance because last year we did that and they went after Keon Crossan and they got him a few times but I think now with X, Cater, and Apple that will not be the case. So there you go. That's your preview podcast for Dolphins and Patriots. Tomorrow I'm going to have the great Mike Reese on the podcast to give us the Patriots perspective and then Friday I have a very special episode with Jeff Darlington. You do not want to miss that plenty to come your way here on the drive time podcast in the meantime you all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on apple spotify wherever you get your podcast from leave us a rating leave us a review follow me on social at wingfield nfl follow the team at miami dolphins check out the fish tank podcast check out our youtube channel for the cinematic recap dolphins today drive time and fish tank content and media availabilities and last but not least miamidolphins.com until next time fins up Carolina cameron daddy